This copyrighted audio file from the writings of David S. Lample is offered free of charge to the glory of God the Father and the praise of Jesus Christ our Lord. Detailed copyright and resource information is included at the end of this file. First Things, a study of Genesis 1 to 11. Session 15, the first generation. Genesis 2, verses 4 to 7. This session first published January 28, 2024. As I mentioned in our previous session, <laughs> low so long ago, the official break from chapter 1 to chapter 2 of Genesis presents us with one of the clumsiest chapter breaks in all of God's Word. Verses 1 to 3 should by all rights be in chapter 1, but they've been broken away from the narrative and placed in chapter 2. With verse 4 of chapter 2, we have the effective beginning of the chapter. But first, before we dig into that, please turn to Genesis 25. Genesis chapter 25. In this representative chapter, we see a pattern that is employed throughout the Bible's first book and is typically used as a heading. Look at verse 12 of, cha of chapter 25. Now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant woman, bore to Abraham. Okay, now look at verse 19. Now these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, etc., now turn to chapter 5 in Genesis. Chapter 5. And here we see it again. And here it's pertinent to our present study. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. But the first instance of this heading we see in verse 4 of chapter 2 where we begin our text. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh God made earth and heaven. This from Kylan Delish. Just as the generations of Noah, for example, do not mention his birth, but contain his history and the birth of his sons, so the generations of the heavens and the earth do not describe the origin of the universe, but what happened to the heavens and the earth after their creation. Now let's, let's read our text, verses 4 to 7 of chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that Yahweh God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet grown. For Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. 
Then Yahweh God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the man became a living being. If we think of the Old Testament, and especially the Pentateuch, in cinematic terms, we see that it repeatedly begins with an establishing wide shot, showing us where we are, showing us context, showing us where, where the scene is set. Then narrows down to a series of close-ups. The whole thing begins in Genesis 1 with the wide shot of the creation of the heavens and earth, but then quickly focuses on the details of equipping the earth, just one planet out of innumerable planets in the universe, this one for man. Following the creation of Adam and the first family, God presents in chapter 6, and using the standard heading, these are the generations of Noah. That's the establishing wide shot, down to his three sons in chapter 10. These are the generations of Shame, Ham, and Japheth. Narrowing it further to the generations of Shame, then further to Terah. And finally, the close-up of Avram and his seed, eventually from which the nation of Israel will be born. Wide shot to close-up, wide shot to close-up. Let me throw in an explanation here. I, I, I'm, I don't want anyone to misunderstand, especially someone who does not physically sit in my classroom, if I use a certain authentic pronunciation for words in the Bible, uh, it's not showing off. It's, it's not being pretentious. I'm just offering that information. You are perfectly free to pronounce these names Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Terah, and Abram. That's perfectly fine, but it's my responsibility as a teacher to give you information, and these are the more authentic Hebrew pronunciations. I toss them out there just for your benefit, and if you want to continue saying the words the other way, as I do, I say Abram, Abraham, uh, that's your privilege. Now, continuing. Like any good storyteller, Moses opens the scene in verse 4 with not just a wide shot, the heading, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. But backing up from where he left off, God's seventh day of rest in verses 1 to 3, to reestablish the earliest days of creation so as to set the stage for his primary topic the close-up story of the first farmer and his mate. And by taking verse 4a as a heading, we mean that it is not a summation of what has preceded, but is a pointer to what proceeds after it. 
even though the narrative that follows shifts back to earlier stages of creation. The recurring theme throughout chapter 2 is the ground, that is, the soil. The story is earthy, natural, a garden in Eden, rivers and streams, and fertile soil for growing things and making things, including man himself. The purpose of chapter 2, from verse 4 on, is not to offer a different version of creation, nor was it written by a different author who knew God as Yahweh Elohim instead of just Elohim. No, in chapter 1, Moses gave us the essential, bare-bones outline of the creative week. In chapter 2, the same author backs up a little to fill in some of the details left out of the previous account all for setting the stage for the fall of man and God's establishment of his chosen people, Israel. So let's dig into verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Two components of this first verse stand out. And the first of these is the word translated generations or account depending on your version. The Hebrew is toledat. And as we've seen, is is often used to set up generational descendants of a common progenitor. For example, Abraham, Noah, etc. Here, it is God himself. In a sense, it is an historical account in the way that a biography is also history, which means that it also can be, as Leupold insists, he he insists that it be a story. But we cannot ignore the element of descendancy inherent in the word, toledat, as seen in so many of its applications in the Old Testament, a number of which we've already looked at. And this adds some poetic texture to this chapter, as revealed in the second part of the verse. In the day that Yahweh God made earth and heaven. In a human sense, all people on this earth can trace their lineage back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. But that is too restrictive. Our true progenitor, our true forefather, is Yahweh God. And the passage, along with chapter 1, makes clear that he is not just the forefather of all humans, but he is the creator, progenitor of all that is. Heavens and earth, growing things and rain and weather, fertile soil, rivers and streams, beasts of the field and oceans and rivers, and then man to manage it all. Here we have, however, the second component of interest. Here God has a new name. Up till now, God has been referred to as Elohim. But now we are introduced for the first time to his personal name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, or Yehovah, or just as in the original Hebrew, YHWH. 
the name that no devout Hebrew would, would say out loud. That's why they would use Adonai, the Lord, instead of his personal name. Turn please to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, and let's read verses 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am about to come to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name from generation to to generation. Here we have in this Exodus passage not just a <laughs> profoundly dramatic scene, but here we have the root of the name Yahweh, typically rendered the Lord, expressing I am who I am. It's Hayah, I am. It's a primitive root meaning to exist, that is to be or become, to come to pass. It is always emphatic. So included in the Lord God's personal name is the concept and fact of his self-existence. His name alone expresses the fact that he is the root and cause of all that is the true and only progenitor of everything in his created universe. Now, one more thing before we leave verse 4. Although just about everyone agrees that the first portion of the verse is a heading for what follows, some go so far as to say that the punctuation should be different, changing a comma to a period. We see the difference in the two NIV versions for verses 4 to 5. So in the more recent NIV 2011, we read, and, and by the way, most of our common versions, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, comma, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, period. Now, the NIV 1984 has it this way. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, period. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, etc. That is, some commentators and apparently the editors of the 1984 NIV, say that the heading of 4a should be isolated with a period, beginning a new sentence with 4b, flowing seamlessly into verse 5 and following. 
The NIV 84 does not close the sentence until the end of verse 7. Now, I'll, personally, I do not have a strong opinion on this, as, as I do not think it makes a lot of difference. Neither option alters the facts, the context, or meaning. Since none of our other versions follow the NIV 84, we'll, we'll go with the majority on this one. Now, verse 5. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet grown. For Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Verses 5 to 6 hearken back to, roughly, days 2 and 3 of creation. We discussed this passage back in session 9 on November 19th, 2023, at which time I said this, man will not be created until day six. So those plants created for the brand new soil of earth in day three, in chapter one, will be on their own for a few days. It must be vegetation that does not require human intervention and husbandry. In other words, the vegetation created in day three was of a sort that was what we would term wild, or at least uncultivated. That's what I said in session nine. The original text reveals the difference. The words for the vegetation created in chapter one, verse 11, day three, are different from those used in our text in chapter two. The newest NIV leaves out this distinction, which can indeed cause confusion. But all our other versions make the distinction, as in the LSB with shrub of the field, that is, vegetation requiring the cultivation and attention of man. Thus, the first part of verse 5 does not mean that it is speaking of a time before there was any vegetation whatsoever. Just as the third point, as the third part points out with, quote, there was no man to cultivate the ground, end quote, vegetation requiring cultivation, man's intervention. So wild plums and wild black raspberries, but no soy, soybeans or corn. The second part of verse 5 presents more of a challenge. To what moment in the creative week does it refer with, quote, for Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, end quote. Verse 6 offers more information. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. The word translated stream or mist depending on your version in verse 6, is ed, E-D-H. This reference to mists or streams watering the land is difficult to place in the timeline of the first chapter, so we're probably better off not trying to force it into one place or another. We take this to mean that prior to his implementing regular rain from above, from clouds, God watered the wild vegetation by other means, whether by underground streams or springs or by a daily mist. More important than when this occurred or 
how it was accomplished is the fact that God was meticulously setting in place everything necessary to sustain his new creation every step of the way. Now verse 7. Then Yahweh God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the man became a living being. There is so much in this verse. The Bible is filled with passages meant to drive us to our knees in reverence and fear of our God. It's filled with passages that speak of his omnipotence, his righteousness, purity, and holiness. In contrast to that, few verses in the Bible so splendidly speak of his condescension, his down-to-earth, intimate, hands-on love for his people, than verse 7. Now, if we can tie this into the timeline of chapter 1 at all, verses 5 and 6 link back to roughly verses 6 to 13 in chapter 1. But verse 7, along with verses 21 to 25, skips ahead to verse 27 in chapter 1 during day 6. Chapter 1 records that when God made those beasts nearest to man, he commanded, quote, the earth to bring forth living creatures, end quote, followed by the simple declarative, God made the beasts of the earth. Verses 24 to 25 in chapter 1. Verse 27 records something similar for man. Quote, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. End quote. But for human beings, more details are necessary and appropriate in chapter 2 to demonstrate their position of authority over the other created beings and, not least, their likeness to God. Here we see in this one verse the measure and depth of man's relationship with God. On the one hand, we see in Yahweh Elohim's personal fashioning of Adam, quote, a work of God that significantly displayed the faithful mercy of Yahweh as well as his awe-inspiring power, end quote. That's Leupold. It is true that all of creation, whether literally spoken or thought into existence, was personally accomplished by God. But this creation, man, is described in a more intimate, tender manner, revealing its personal importance to an omnipotent God. The verb yatsar, translated formed, refers literally to a potter molding a vessel from damp clay. It's not necessary to anthropomorphize our God, taking this to mean that he literally, physically dug his hands into the damp dirt of the earth to fashion the first man. No, we need not waste time imagining how it was accomplished. 
only to accept that this particular portion of creation was realized by a more intimate, personal involvement by Yahweh. At the same time, however, the episode reveals that even though man has been created in God's own image, chapter 1, verse 27, this is not meant to place him on a level equal to deity. Here's what Leupold has to say about this. The writer tells us that the material God employed in making man was the dust of the ground. Afar, rendered dust, does not refer to dry, pulverized earth only. Here, without a doubt, a damp mass of the finest earth is under consideration. Luther's rendering is still unsurpassed. Quote, lump of earth, end quote. Lest man form too high an estimate of the first man, it is here recorded that in spite of the high station involved in being made in the image of God, man has a constituent part in his makeup which forever forbids unseemly pride on his part. End quote. That is, dirt. I am reserving discussion of the rest of verse 7 for our next session. There's too much there. It's too important, too fascinating to quickly tack on to the end of this session. We will return to verse 7 in session 16. Thank you for using our Bible study resources. This has been the audio version of our weekly printed session notes. It is copyright 2024 by David S. Lample but is offered free of charge and may be freely shared with others. All printed and audio notes are available in the Bible study section of our website at dlample.com. This website also includes our monthly devotional, Reflections by the Pond, as well as archives of our devotional publications from the last 34 years. You will also find at dlample.com all of our His Company Christian Drama resources. Unless otherwise indicated, scripture in this audio file is from the Legacy Standard Bible, copyright the Lachman Foundation. Greek and Hebrew citations and definitions are from Strong's Greek and Hebrew Dictionary and the NASB Greek Hebrew Dictionary. All resources are offered free of charge in acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For more information about who we are, please visit the About Us page at our website.